Hi, Dan. Good to have you on the podcast. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Great. And uh, for you? It's good. I'm at my parents' house in Minnesota on a bit of a vacation. It's a very good morning so far. <laughs> so um, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I am one of the co-founders of Everyman. Uh, that is my current job and position. I'm the father of two young boys, uh, a husband to a beautiful wife. I live on a farm in Cal Southern California. Uh, I spend my time and my focus uh, helping mostly specifically men slow down, get in touch with who they are, and uh, share themselves more uh, fully, more honestly, more vulnerably with everybody else with the intention of improved uh, mental and emotional wellness and just a better life and better life for everybody else around them too. <laughs> Got it. So um, before we talk about every man and everything you do at every man, um, could you please give our listeners like a bit more background about yourself? Like maybe you could also speak about like how you grew up and how your childhood looked like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I'm actually not right now. I'm sitting in a place not far from where I grew up. I grew up in North Dakota, which is in the central plains in the very northern part of the United States. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, a town of about six or seven hundred people, and it was a very sheltered place to grow up. And it's brutally cold there most of the most of the year, actually. And uh, I grew up with a very loving family, but in a very uh, sort of uptight and uh, non-expressive culture. So my family mm. and the people around me were. Um, I, the, I, the, I guess the the clearest thing to share is that I was born. And I could tell what people were feeling. I, I just had the sense of what other people were feeling. And most of the time, what people said, what came out of their mouth, did not often line up with what it felt like their truth was inside. And, and that really di defines and sort of identifies, um, I guess, the, the beating heart of, of what I do and what I've been passionate about. And so, yeah, I grew up, you know, Pretty, pretty loving, pretty good childhood. I, I was a martial artist. I, I was in Taekwondo. That was like my big thing as a kid. So I was trained uh, and, and through a black belt of, of Taekwondo, a Korean martial art. I played football. You know, I played, I had a heavy metal band. I, uh, I worked on farms on, at nights and on the weekend. I had a really good childhood. Uh, in college, I started traveling internationally and lived in Europe for a while. What did you study? I studied philosophy and literature. Mm, why? Also, why? Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, because I, since I was an early, early, early child, my passions were reading and writing. I've been a, mm. um, I'm a writer, like, it's even as early as kindergarten, what I wanted to be <laughs> when I grew up was a writer. Uh, and, and I've always been introspective as well. So the philosophy was just a, I think it was my attempt to find meaning uh, as a young person without too many uh, avenues or directions to to look into that. Um, yeah, I, I promptly uh, sort of cut off my Western philosophic uh, study after the degree. I uh, didn't find what I was looking for there. <laughs> that's what I studied. Uh, okay. So um, you, you were talking about like you were traveling a lot. Just speak to that. 
Yeah, so it started in uh, my second year of university. I I spent a year abroad, and I went to uh, England. I went to the University of Birmingham in England for a year, and uh, I was sort of dragged there, uh, sort of in a very loving. I was pretty naive. I didn't I didn't know what I was getting into. My girlfriend at the time, she's like, "You either have to come with me, or we're breaking up," because she wanted to go. Oh. Uh, <laughs> God, thank God she did that. Thank God she brought me. It was such a, a huge awakening for me just to <laughs> get out into the world and eat food that had flavor and see cultures and just see the world. It really, really, one of the things about growing up where I did that was, that's a silver lining or a benefit is that everything is not boring. Like the whole mm. world is very exciting compared to where, where I grew up. There's a lot more stimulus uh, in other places. It was very flat um, where I grew up. So, yeah. that And then I, I kind of, I fell into a bit of an international lifestyle and, and started traveling abroad extensively. I spent a lot of time in the Andes, in Ecuador, um, specifically Ecuador, a little bit of Peru and Bolivia also. Uh, and, yeah, traveled, all, traveled as much as I could. And then part of that coincided with after college, my first career, I became a wilderness therapy guide. So I led groups of struggling teenage boys on uh, wilderness therapeutic wilderness trips to kind of get their shit together. And, and how does this look like? Or, or how did it look like? Yeah, it looks like uh, a group of eight to ten young men who got sent away by their families because they were, you know, either doing illegal things or close to illegal things. And they're different programs. So either it's a therapeutically oriented program or a correctional program. So some of them were in the law system, right? Some of them had been arrested and were detained. But either way, what it looked like were uh, long-term wilderness expeditions, either hiking or canoeing on lakes or river rafting, but a, a lot of hiking. Um, in which it was, uh, you know, there was a simple curriculum of learning how to communicate more openly, uh, some self, a lot of self-reflection, learning about themselves. And so my job was to basically care for them and lead them through the wilderness and also mm. deliver, deliver this uh, uh, content, this, this programming, this, you know, we kind of all sort of dove into ourselves together and then learn how to interact in a really healthy way. Got it. So um, what did you do after? Uh, I directly after I moved to New York City and I became mm. a, a high school teacher in the Bronx and uh, did that for a couple years. I got a master's of education as part of that. Uh, it was a trade program. It's called uh, the New York City Teaching Fellows. So I got a, a free master's as I as I taught. So I basically dove in uh, to a full-time education job teaching young people as I was getting my degree. And it was wild. It was it was a it was a beautiful and intense time of my life. So <laughs> so, so, I, so what yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. So so, so um why did you quit? So um did you have any reasons why um Yeah. You wanted to quit? Uh, the main one being that 
I did not feel like there was room within the system, within the bureaucratic mm-hmm. educational system in order to deliver what I had delivered to kids and the world. You know, I mean, I was a terrible academic teacher. And to be totally honest with you, uh, I cared about the kids. I, I cared. Well, a couple of things. So one of the main things was that, you know, the job of a teacher fundamentally on paper is to teach them things that they can learn. And then in the United States, I don't know if they have this in Germany, but there's state testing. So to pass, mm-hmm. the, you know, there's this regimented testing system. And um, our, my students, our students were so, I don't, I say this with all the love, behind, academically behind. And so I was a very good mentor, I feel, I hope, uh, I think. And I created really good relationships with these kids. And I know they learned under my care. I was not the ideal uh, English teacher. I, I, I did not have the or skill set to, like, up-level their academic stuff, right? <laughs> so what were your plans after the teaching stuff? You know, I, I mean, the, the honest answer is is right at the end of it, I didn't have any clue. And, and that was a big turning point in my life was my sort of late 20s. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I was burnt out. I had a bit of a, a implosion in my life, kind of a big shift. And I ended up going back. Did, did any, life. sorry to interrupt, but did anything particular happen? I mean, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, plenty, plenty of particular things. I mean, the the teaching and the and the schooling at the same time in the city was way too much. And I got mm. very burnt out i got deeply burnt out and, and exhausted and i also in that time um i didn't have the tools and skills myself to take care of myself in an emotionally and psychological or, or mental way and yeah so i just i think i had my i had a big um growing up to do and and i yeah so i went through a period of um deep self-reflection and confusion. I went to Peru and I, I, I did some ayahuasca in, at a retreat center down in Peru. Just a whole, and then I found my first men's group. I, how, I really how, how did your experience with uh, ayahuasca look like? <laughs> oh man, we would have to have a, a six-hour podcast <laughs> to get all the way. It was, uh, it was, it was a very important thing for me in the big picture. Uh, it also it, it also changed things for me, me in a way that's hard to define. Um, in it was scary too. There was some there's some very scary. scary parts of it. Uh, but fundamentally, what it did was kind of it was a big reset, right? Like I, I mm-hmm. feel like there was a moment or there was a there's sort of a line that I could draw in my life at that point where um, I started a whole new trajectory after and it wasn't just the ayahuasca it was a lot of things at once it was the end of a big relationship i had in my 20s it was uh you know i think it was a clear call that it was time to grow up and i didn't i didn't even really know what that meant and uh i think the most one of the most important things that happened in that time was i found my first men's group in new york city and i didn't even know what that was i didn't know what it meant um i got invited to a men's group uh just at a dinner party And then I showed up and there were eight or nine guys in this room in the in this loft in Chelsea in New York City. And 
walked in there and walked out a completely uh, different person with a completely different path uh, forward in life. So um, how did this, uh, how long was the time frame where you were stuck in this kind of depression? So um, just speak to that. No, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I don't know if I would call it a depression. I mean, I think honestly, the depression came first. The depression mm -hmm. came when I was overworked and and uh, scared and really not doing so well. And then I would say that the depression gave way to a bit of chaos for a while. Things got chaotic, just confusing and intense and, and big. Um, and they stayed that way for a while, you know. <laughs> there, there was not a, not a, a silent or immediate uh, shift into, like, all of a sudden things are way better. However, uh, I did, I feel like I firmly got back on my own path, right? So I, all of this happened, I moved back west, and it was important for me to do that. I kind of caught myself, got back on my feet. I did more work in the wilderness. Um, and then I got a, there's sort of a, a juncture in the path and I got invited to be part of a TV crew, uh, to use my wilderness based skills to take care of TV crews out in the wild on uh, wilderness based programming. And I just kind of went for it and it turned into another surprise career that lasted four or four and a half years. And I ended up, uh, becoming the director and producer Uh, cinematographer and eventually the executive producer one of the executive producers of a uh, hunting show called meat eater and yeah so that just sort of happened <laughs> <laughs> so um could could you please uh, tell us like how did you personally got into this whole um tv thing and and producing thing and and the story behind it so um i think it it, it sounds so fascinating so i think uh, our listeners would love to hear the story behind this whole uh, project or this, this whole project yeah it's a pretty simple story so in that first <laughs> men, in that very first men's group which i already mentioned uh one of the guys who sat in the group uh was a, a director of tv and he was part of creating a new show the first show was called the wild within and it was programmed on the travel channel Mm. And as they put their crew together to shoot a season of the show, they realized they were going to spend a lot of times in the a lot of time in the backcountry, and they didn't necessarily have the skill set on the crew for everybody to take care of themselves out there. So mm -hmm. my buddy knew I was a wilderness guide, and he just called, literally called me one day and said, "Hey, do you want to how go amazing on a series <laughs> of adventures all over amazing. the world?" I was like, "Yeah." It sounds great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it, man. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, and that quickly turned into not quickly. So we did a season of that show. It was a blast. Uh, it didn't get picked up, but the show kind of quickly pivoted to turn into what's called Meat Eater, which is the same host in a similar for a slightly different format, but similar idea. And yeah, I moved to New York, and that show started taking off, and sort of built myself a ladder to, to more and more. And I just, I loved it. I loved the storytelling. It was adventurous. So, so what, what's it, uh, what is Meat Eater about? So, because I think like most of our listeners aren't familiar with it. Yeah, it's about uh, each episode is the story of a hunt in a different backcountry, generally backcountry area. So Steve Rennell is the host. 
Uh, he's an author and a host and a, a communicator about the hunting culture here in the States. And it's an ethical, ethically based uh, conservation forward hunting show. And so each episode we would go on a hunt, kill something. We didn't always kill something. Uh, butcher it on camera and prepare it and eat it and learn about the land and learn about the culture and learn about the animal. Uh, it's a very, very simple, straightforward show about these adventures. So, so what have you learned along the way? Because I think um, a lot of people are interested in hunting or the wilderness. And um, what have you learned? And maybe you could give our listeners like something practical also. Like, I mean, what if I, 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 I w I'll try to pare it down. I mean, there's, uh, I could sit here for four weeks straight and tell you what I learned. <laughs> and a lot of what I learned, honestly, was just reaffirmed from earlier in my life. I grew up a hunter. I grew up a fisherman. I grew up a gardener. And eating food close to the land and participating in nature was my life, right? That was a big part of who I was already. Things that I learned, I learned how to be a better hunter myself. That, was, that, that stands out as a clear learning. Uh, part of the communication, and I learned how to tell stories better. I learned how to communicate in a way that more people could hear. But I think what was communicated was that people are yearning for more of a connection with the earth, with nature, with animals, mm. their food, all of this simple primal human stuff that is deeply wired within us. There's a huge gap between how most of us live. And, you know, even today I'm, I'm working on closing that gap my wife and i worked on living more and more and more in touch with nature with our kids as we can and i think meat eaters specifically the lessons there are that there is a uh, misconception often about what hunters are what they believe what they feel how they go about things and it's not a spiritually based show right it's not it's not at all it's just very pragmatic and, and upfront but it does show that one can have a relationship with death and violence and hunting, which is deeply human and rooted in a, uh, a connected way of life. That's not mm. just combative or destructive or, uh, you know, taking a resource taking it's, it's this, it's this co this communion process. And so I think in terms of practicality, um, What I would share is watch that show. I really think it's it's one of the best ways to to learn about that lifestyle. I really think so. I, I stand by that. I mean, the the other thing would just be get the fuck out of the city and get out in the mm -hmm. woods any way you can. Any any way you can. I don't care. Go on go online and find a just get outside and get dirty. Go to a farm. Learn how things happen. You know, get out of the flow of this craziness that we're all in all the time. You know, just this morning, I'm at my parents, and I woke up, and I just went down to the river and sat in the river for 10 minutes and just get outside. We need it. We're, we're dying without it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I think um, most people are, are stuck in front of the PC like way too often and way too long. <laughs> But me, me included. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, what were you personally like doing um, at Meat Eater? Like where you, uh, what, what were your res responsibilities look like? How, how did your day look like um, when you were working on, on, on this whole thing? 
I mean, it, it changed, man. You know, when I started, I was a, an associate producer or a PA. Like what I talked about the first time, my job was simply to carry heavy shit up and down mountains and set up tents and cook food and take care of the crew. Uh, but I quickly sort of changed roles, right? When Meat Eater started, I started as associate producer. So I would run the logistics. I would do the booking for the shoots and all that stuff. I grew up past that and I started producing the shows. So that meant that I would forecast or work out the storylines with Steve in advance. And we would, uh, we would build the storyline, the plot and the, even the arc of season. So I would plan all the whole seasons. I would plan all the shoots. I would plan the stories in the field. I also started shooting. So basically just to be very simple, what it turned into was like, making the show right i would <laughs> i would shoot it i would take care of the story as we were doing it we would get home i would help ed- i wouldn't edit on hands-on editing but i would story produce right so i would help shape the cool. story i did i kind of did it all and very then, creative yeah eventually after that i for a short time became an executive producer so uh the very end of it, I was kind of overseeing the process and I wasn't out in the field anymore. But I was on over 60 shoots, over 60 episodes. That's so a lot. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, what, what that looked like was oftentimes being dropped off or hiking out into the into the wilderness and uh, just going on a full hunt with a small crew of guys with cameras and having a blast and, and making something beautiful out of it. So um, do you plan on like doing more of this whole producing thing or do you call it crits? I mean, I, I'm beginning now to integrate that skill set into my current uh, company, Everyman. Uh, you know, that's definitely the way. The, no, I did the, the simple answer. Do I intend to produce more? No, probably not. Really? I, yeah, no, no. That was just a, <laughs> that was a side gig. That was, okay. a detour. that was a detour. That is that is not my my purpose and passion for being on this planet. I am curious about in the future, uh, more documentary work, not as the producer, but you know, as potentially, I don't know, some creative part of other movies or docs. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested. I would, I'm interested in uh, a host role or, you know, being more on camera as well. But, you know, that was, again, that was a, that was a surprise little career that cropped up. How it does fit, though, is storytelling. So as a speaker and as a writer yeah. and as a uh, as we start, to, I'm actually uh, sitting on my computer screen right now is a cut of or a, yeah, a cut of a recent video that we're putting together about every man. And so I get cool. to use the skills there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how did you transition from this whole uh, movie industry to what you are doing now? Uh, were you doing anything in between? Um, yeah, just just speak to that. Yeah, so I all the whole time I was I was doing the media work, I was sitting on this huge passion, purpose, uh, intention to basically I didn't know it was called every man at the time, but that's what it ended up coming out. So I got fired or I lost my job. It kind of came to a natural, mm. end. um, about the same time my first boy was born. I got two boys and yeah, it was like a, you know, not to be too out there, but it was like a big, it was like a big message from something or somewhere that said, 
all right, dude, like, time, enough, enough fucking around. Like, you're here to do a thing. Now's the time to do that thing. And so a couple months later, we did our first Everyman retreat. Again, it wasn't even called Everyman. At that time, it was called Open Source. And um, the first retreat was so, so impactful, so big, that it carried enough energy to start the company, uh, bring on some initial bootstrapping investment, and um, you know, two and a half years later, now we're we're growing up and turning into a a real thing. So, <laughs> so um, for everybody who isn't familiar with Everyman, um, give us like uh, the story behind it. What what is it about? Who is it for? And um, yeah, just just please speak to that then. I mean, we chose the name Everyman purposefully, right? So it's for every man. And we mean that, any, that means <laughs> anybody who identifies as a man. And so what it is, is that literally it's an emotional CrossFit gym. It's a, it's a, it's a community of men's groups. Like I talked about that first one that I was in in New York. We help guys set up peer-to-peer -peer men's groups all over the world in their community. Uh, we have curriculum. We have support structures in place for men to get together to practice something that I'll get into. But before I do that, first, we also have retreats. We do weekend retreats. We do wilderness expeditions. We do leadership training. We do corporate consulting work. Uh, we do a lot of stuff, but here's, here's what it is. We get together to practice some simple skills. We slow down. We get together and slow down, and we learn a deeper set of awareness. We learn to tap into what our body's feeling and what we're feeling emotionally. And we learn to share that with others. It's so, it may sound overly simple. Maybe it doesn't. It is, it is way simpler than you could imagine. But we slow down, get in touch with what we feel, and share it. And that does two, two, two very important things. One, it pops the cork off all the shit that we repress. It gives us a place to not hold all the things in that we hold in all the time, every day, with almost everybody. And so that is hugely helpful personally, just for emotions, for mental health, for the personal wellness. It's huge. Just to have a place to uncork and say what you're not saying to other people. But the other important part of that is by doing that together, it immediately creates these bonds between men that are massive and deep and huge and literally life-changing. And so there's two huge, I think, ills. Uh, there's more, but these, this is the where I think we have the most leverage. Men are isolated and alone, and men mm. are emotionally repressed, right? So this practice of coming together once every week or once every two weeks and sitting down across from each other and just getting real, it is more impactful on men's lives than I almost have words for. It's ridiculous. Guys, guys will go away from a two-and-a-half-hour meeting or a two-day retreat with better friends, like deeper friends, closer friends than they've ever had in their life, and a much more clear idea who they, who they are, what they want, and what they should be doing with their time. It's, it's so simple. It's so freaking simple. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so um how does this process look like like uh could you give us like a, a maybe like a day in the life of of a retreat of yours so um how would it look like and how does the process look like and maybe you could share a, a few tips with our listeners also so um yeah uh the most important thing i'll just model what we call a check-in so 
Check-in, okay. Yeah, and the check-in is just a basically, it's a small tool to become very clear with what I feel, and I'll share it with you. And we'll notice that it helps me be present. It helps me pay attention to the moment. So I'm not thinking about what you're thinking of me. I'm not thinking about the future of what's going to happen. I'm not thinking about the past. I'm just right here telling you what's happening to me right now. So checking in, my feet are very cold, like uncomfortably cold. I have to pee, and that's uncomfortable as well. My chest feels tight, and my throat feels tight. My my shoulders are sore. I feel a tension in my forehead. Emotionally, what I feel right now is there's like an edge of um, aggression or anger. I feel joy to be uh, sitting here and, and having this conversation. Uh, and I also feel proud of... Really, I guess what I get to share. I get proud of what we've done. I feel proud right now of what we've done, and I'm having fun sharing about it. So that's me right now. That's that's a simple check-in. That's kind of like rock-bottom skill set, and it's a process that is uh, deeply helpful in in regular life, in in day-to-day life. You know, I mean, just give an example. This is the example I like to give the most, but. Uh, we don't have a dishwasher right now in our house, but when we did, uh, when I would load the dishwasher, my wife hated how I loaded it. She just thought I did it wrong, right? And some of our biggest fights would come from the interaction about how I loaded the dishwasher. So here's an example. I'm putting cups and bowls in the dishwasher. She walks over. She just gives me a look, right? And so here's what I would do without slowing down. I'd be like, fuck you. Leave me alone. And then we would have a fight, right? <laughs> but if I slow down and I go a little bit deeper, she comes over, she gives me a look. I check in with myself. And then I could say something like, Elise, honey, I feel very, very angry right now. But even more than that, when you when you look at me that way, I feel like a little kid. And I feel like you think that I'm not smart enough or I don't have anything like Like, I'm not smart enough to do this simple job. And so when I tap in on a deeper level and I tell her my actual truth, like what's going on underneath, my wife is a very kind woman. She'll be like, okay, wait, I I didn't mean to make you, you know, feel like shit there. Or maybe I did, but I'm sorry. But basically, we slow down enough and get real enough with each other that we can reconnect through that rather than just, you know. Got it. Go that fast first thing, you know? Uh, so that's an example. And so what we do on our retreats is we we get together and uh, we basically confront each other. We get, we ask, we have prompts, we have small group work, we do work where you get in pairs. Uh, we go out in the woods and we hike and we eat food and we do all kinds of stuff. But really what it comes down to is, is interactive work where we we answer deeper questions about ourselves, about our experience with each other. And what that does is it creates like a domino effect that, Mm -hmm. you know, you show up to a place like this and finally it's safe enough to say all the shit that you normally keep tamped down inside. And then it's just, it opens everybody else up. It starts a chain reaction of, of, uh, of good stuff. And, And so it's, it's very, you know, it's very healing. It's very, uh, we're not therapists, but you could call it therapeutic, right? Guys work through some of the dark stuff and they like let out fight some of the demons and let out some of the crap. Uh, but also 
is we also we kind of we focus on two main questions: is what what do I feel, but then what do I want? And so the what do I want question is all about why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? What's my purpose? What, how am I making decisions? You know, what am I making yeah, love decisions this. based on? So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what what kind of stories are those, those guys sharing? Like, is it like deeply personal stuff, or like, do you have examples for our listeners? Like, maybe what what they could maybe or what they might experience when they would go on one of your retreats? So, um, yeah, totally, yeah. It's it is deeply personal stories, but that means very different things to everybody, right? So, mm. so everybody shows up with their own uh, level of where they are and what they're willing to go into. Some of the most uh, clear and I would say powerful and beautiful things are. Well, I don't even want to rank them. I'll just give you a couple examples. So, um, I'm picturing a guy who's about 33 or 34. He came into a retreat. And his wife wanted to have children. And he just didn't or couldn't or he was blocked in that. Mm. And through the process of the weekend, he got in touch with, first of all, why he was resistant to that idea. Really clear, like why he, you know, and it had something to do with his own dad. He didn't maybe have the relationship to show him uh, what a good dad would look like. And so part of him internally just kept that idea and pushed her away and pushed that idea away. But as he got in touch with that reason, he started to process it. And he started to get reflection from the other guys in the group about how good of a man this guy was, and he was. And so by the end of the retreat, he's, he left basically saying, I'm ready to be a dad. I'm ready to go home, talk to my wife, and do this thing. And... My God, what a powerful, what a powerful thing to be a part of, right? That's one example. A lot of other examples are, you know, sometimes men whose uh, main relationships are at risk and uh, their partners feel that they're not really showing up or they're not present or they're not in line. And um, the amount of stories we get back of, of, you know, men going home after these experiences and realigning and reuniting with their loved ones, with their partner, but even sometimes their kids and their parents. One of the most powerful moments in my entire life was when my dad came to a retreat last year. And uh, we always loved each other, but there was always a huge wall in between us. And uh, when we went on the retreat together, that wall got blown up. And um, we, found, we found that we had this massively beautiful moment together in front of 60 other guys where uh, I was able to feel and share my love with my dad and him vice versa in a way that um, I never thought possible. And, yeah. how, how did you make the, how did you make it, make it happen? Because I think like a lot of people are struggling with, um, for instance, like one other family member they don't get along with. And I think it would be like, massively useful for our listeners um if you would if you would maybe share the, the story uh, with us the, the, it's simple it's patience honestly i i invited my mm. dad to this, this stuff for years uh in in this case specifically he listened to the everyman podcast he listened to the podcast i did every week i think it started working on him or it started <laughs> yeah. and uh You know, he called me one day and he said, hey, I think I'm ready to go on a retreat. But he made it very clear. 
I'm coming for you. Like, I think I need to come to some uh, you know? <laughs> like, right, cool, man, whatever, you know, just come. And then, you know, he showed up and it was just like um, one of the most impactful things that's ever happened in my life. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's my example. But your question is, you know, tips for others to sort of reunite with their, their loved ones that they're a little bit yeah. strange from. My response would be do your own work first, uh, do whether it's therapy or come to a retreat or do something where you can dive into your truth with support, with like and get to a depth. Um, I think it's it's funny sometimes how relationships that get really tight, they can loosen up if you do your work first. Right. And then, I mean, you know, it might be. I think that it's hard to give people uh, advice on this without the specificity, right? Because some relationships, you know, even if it's in strange, like an estranged relationship, the other part, the other person, the other party might be open to an invite. Maybe some other ones are not open to an invite, you know? Um, but I think doing your own work first and getting really clear on how you feel first and what you want, then again, there's those two questions, but they're, you, you can't you can't not move forward when you have clear 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 real true answers to both of those about how something makes you feel and what you want it's like that just it cuts right through it right so i would start there <laughs> yeah i love this because um uh, there's a quote i like to live by and it goes something like this um it's easier to fix yourself than uh, fix the world right so Yeah, it's the kind of the only place to start usually. <laughs> so, um, like, how would you personally, or maybe for our listeners, like, how would you go about this thing about like, how do how does one really um, find what they want in life? Because I think it's like a huge, 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 uh, a huge, huge, huge question and very, very important topic for everybody. So, um, yeah, how does one go? Uh, about answering this question yeah i mean not to be a broken record but the first step is to slow way the fuck down and get <laughs> out and get out of your head and get out of the digital world and our minds are digital in a sense right yeah they're very fast they're very repetitive and so uh, the first step is getting out of that taking the elevator from the head down into the body and the heart and getting in touch getting re-attuned to the parts of ourselves that are not just this fast-spinning, whirring brain machine up top. And we all have that capacity. And so that can look a lot of different ways, right? For me, I go out in nature and just get quiet and get still, right? That's that's my number one go-to. I have, um, I mean, listen, the, the easy answer for me, which is real, is Get amongst a group of peers that are willing to open up and give each other feedback. And that's what every man groups are or our retreats are. Like you can't to think that I think that doing it alone, like thinking that you can just figure it all out on your own might be true. It's way harder. Like we we are social mammals. We are far more interdependent than we normally live. And so when you get to a place, say you got like seven peers around you. And you're like really dialing into what you want. Other people will remember at the beginning, I talked about that gap, that gap between mm. what we're saying and what people can feel about us. We can help each other in massive ways by simply slowing down together enough and being like, 
hold on, man. What you're saying is that you want to, you know, go and become a lawyer and all this. But when you say that, like, dude, I'm not feeling it. It does. It feels like that's what you were told you had to think. Right. And Got so it, that, yeah. and that, that little moment can drop somebody into like a, holy crap, I've been <laughs> living a lie. Like, that's not what I want. Right. So we need each other to help formulate and shape that because all we're doing is peeling shit away so we can feel what's true in us. That's it. That's it. So slow down and do it with other people. That's my advice. <laughs> Got it. So, um, Dan, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, I think you have a great vibe. So um, at the end, I always ask five very short and quick questions. But um, before I ask those questions, um, like I know this is kind of like a broad question, but <laughs> give us your best um, life advice in a nutshell. So, um, yeah. God bless I already you. Did it. I already did it. Slow down. Slow down. Stop. Stop. Everything. <laughs> Slow down. It's uncomfortable, but do it. <laughs> Got it. So, um, could you please tell everybody where can they find you on the social webs? Connect with you. Um, yeah. Every man. Sorry, I got sneezing here. Everyman.com <laughs> is the website. E v r y m a n. Bless you. Everyman.com, and you can find us on Instagram and facebook uh, i'm on instagram as daniel Doty. um yeah just google us come on it's 2019 just google us. <laughs> so um the first out of the five question is um what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life yeah the Tao de ching um mm. uh, siddhartha by herman hess oh i love this book yeah And uh, Ernest Hemingway short stories. Oh, you, you have. <laughs> this was so far the best question to this answer. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, you have a great book taste. So um, the second question is, uh, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Uh, I would say Grizzly Man by Werner Herzog. Uh, Wild at Heart. Um, by what's his name, the meditator guy. What's his name? Anyway, Wild at Heart. Okay. Third one. Boy, great question. Probably Moana. Mm. <laughs> the, the cartoon that The Rock is in. Best freaking movie I've ever seen. I'm a. You can tell I'm a dad. So Moana, Grizzly Man, and Wild at Heart. Got it. Um, the third question is: What is the most useful product? or service that you have fought in recent memory? Man. Uh, <laughs> uh, dude, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a cacao, like hot hot cocoa cacao, raw cacao from guatemala uh, <laughs> my wife's life got her off coffee best thing best thing i've ever had 
So um, the fourth out of the five question is, um, what are the most re important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business, family, time, about like anything. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today. Yeah, uh, starting a family and starting a big business at the same time is a shitty idea. Um, mm. Too much. Uh, and... I feel like what I'm learning and have learned is that I tend to take risks and live from my heart and live off of passion. Uh, but I didn't learn the skill set to have financial clarity and um, kind of didn't have, I didn't, I relied on things I shouldn't have to, to take care of my family. So the, the creation process of this has been really stressful and, and terrifying at times. God. So um, the last question for today is, um, what would you tell your 20-year-old self then? My 20-year-old self? Be like, fuck yeah, man. Keep keep doing it. Don't change a thing. Just keep 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 doing it. You're doing great. <laughs> um, Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think it was great talking to you. Awesome, Hardy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Talk soon.